Good afternoon, Carly. Welcome to the Glass House. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here talking about mental well-being, the, the, the very first podcast in the series. And, you know, when we first met, I think you, were talk, you talked so frankly about mental well-being. You were the perfect first candidate for this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I remember our first conversation when we met um, really well. And I think obviously we'll, we'll, we'll get into it more, I'm sure, but it, it's nice to meet someone who, like me, is, is quite open and, and honest and real about it. I think some people struggle to do that on the off. So, um, yeah, it was, it was nice to, to have that with you, to be honest. Yeah, and I think, you know, conversation is, is an antidote to the problem of mental health. You know, from my experiences, when I'm alone or, or trying to suffer in silence and combat it myself, that's when I struggle most. But when I, when I talk to people, that's when I, when I feel best and I feel that I have a solution to the problem. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, again, when I'm on my own, I try and fill that void with music for example, um, just to have some of that background noise there because you're right, um, human connection, conversation, communicate, it does help, it helps a lot. Um, so yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. And you, you mentioned, you know, human connection and uh, the, the theme of this podcast is, is the five ways to well-being. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a very simple piece of research that says if you exhibit these five ways then you can promote positive mental well-being. Yes. Uh, and the, f the, f one, the first one of the five ways is to connect with other, with other people. And, you know, how do you exhibit that in, in, in your professional life and also your personal life? Um, so I think, obviously, with the professional life, if you, if you look back to um, prior to the pandemic, for example, uh, maybe people sort of took for granted what what that meant and i feel like when the pandemic hit and we were working from home and we had all of the you know the restrictions in place uh, it it became such a missed thing i mean i struggled with it quite a lot and i know other people that you know that did and you know we you still have that human connection in terms of the platforms that you you know you used to do your meetings and stuff but you know in actual fact when that pandemic ended and everyone started sort of getting back to some normality, I think everyone and I definitely um, realised how much I'd missed it and how much it had affected me because I'm one of them people who thrive off being in person with someone and having that connection and um, I take a lot from people's, you know, reactions and how they are around you and I sort of take that and, and, it, and it sort of adjusts the way I am. And it's difficult to get that over, you know, a screen, for example, isn't it? So it is. I, I, I'm, I don't really like Zoom or Teams. I'm always a, I've got a preference for in-person meetings. Um, and I too get a lot of energy from other people. So did you find that your mental health deteriorated during the pandemic when you suddenly couldn't connect with people in person? I did, yeah, and the, the scary thing about it, I would say, is that, you know, I, I didn't quite realise it was happening at the time because it was it was bit by bit and it was something that everyone really suddenly had to just get used to. And uh, I, I don't think I quite felt the impact of it until we were coming out of that and it was sort of, 
you know, getting back to normal and civilization and all that interaction again. And I found that I wasn't maybe quite who I was prior to that. So it, it did impact me, yeah, but I couldn't really uh, understand how much actually until I came out of it. If you're someone that gets energy from other people, I imagine that you're in your element in a sales environment in person. So how, how did you react as a salesperson during COVID when suddenly everything was taken online? Um, again, it was <coughs> the relationships that you are, that already existed um, maybe wasn't so bad because, you you know, that... Um, that relationship's already there and it's built and it's and it's it was more the new connections and trying to build on the relationships and actually maintain the ones that you already had as well and I, and I found that quite difficult um because I, I don't I didn't feel personally that I could get that energy through the computer screen not to say any of the calls were you know were were bad or negative we weren't conversing any differently than what we usually would but that in person energy that people sort of you know, put out um, was just not there. And I don't feel you could get that on the screen. So, you know, I did struggle with that mm. quite quite a bit. I, f- I found it particularly difficult. If my experience of the pandemic in terms of the lack of connection was that I, I wasn't being exposed to any other uh, physical spaces, um, which, is what, which was the same experience for most people, right? We had our one exercise per day yes. or... Or it felt like a, a ration book um, of time to go and actually not even spend time with other people because you had to be distant. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I think actually I enjoyed the the connection I was still able to have with customers uh, throughout COVID, um, and I was actually very grateful to be a salesperson during that time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. Um... You know the way everyone sort of adapted so quickly to the situation that was that was happening globally. Obviously, um, you know, was brilliant. And, and being a salesperson, we are a certain people would say we're a certain type of person. Mm. Again, that does crave that energy and that social element to it and things like that. So obviously, being a salesperson that I am, um, and having the accounts and the clients that I look after. And, and still having that outside sort of connection to the outside world because it was, it was the only connection to the outside world that we had. Um, yeah, really, really grateful for that. I, I worked throughout and I feel like, in actual fact, I'd say, I know I was saying before about, you know, impacting on relationships, but in actual fact, some of them maybe became a bit stronger because... Uh, people had to make that extra effort to get on the team's calls and, and, you know, and do all that sort of stuff. And and maybe it was a bit more structured because of that. So, yeah, there's definitely, there was, there was pros and cons to it, but you're absolutely right. Being a salesperson during that time had some positives, um, but from a mental health perspective, for me, it was quite a negative experience. It, it was a struggle. Has that, has that changed your attitude towards mental health? Um in that you, through, through COVID you experienced a, a sense of isolation. You weren't able to connect with others like you used to. Are you, uh, do you try and do that more now? Are you, are you trying to encourage others around you to connect with each other? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously like coming out of that, I would say that 
So, for example, if you know, typically, if I was going to go and hold a meeting on a on a construction site, you know, in in the site sort of setup that they have <coughs> in the cabins, and we would hold that meeting in a meeting room, whereas after that, we I would do it in different ways. For example, we would do a walk around site with the team, so we would walk around as we were having the meeting, and um, I feel like more people sort of just opened up because of that. And then little strands of conversations that came off from that. And I feel like the actual meeting on a whole was more productive. It was more um, beneficial to both parties. And then obviously an extension to that was actually, I, you know, I don't have any sort of direct uh, people re directly reporting into me. Um, it's sort of dotted line and, and I didn't quite involve them to the level that I do now. So I, w I will bring them out and to attend these different meetings and, you know, events and get them out into the world networking because I do feel like it's such an important thing. And the one question that was asked throughout uh, the pandemic, which quite surprised me, was do we actually need to travel now to have a meeting? Do you need to book that hotel or can you have it on Teams? And I was really against that because I feel like it's it's an art that could should and could never die because you just can't get better than per people to people, person to person. Mm. It, it seems like your experience of isolation has attuned you to the isolation that others may experience, and you've now changed your professional practice around that as a as a leader, and you're making sure that. Uh, people get those chances to connect with each other. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's really important. And you know, <coughs> we, for example, in our offices, you know, our head office, we do a flexible working pattern now. Since then, where, you know, working from home is an option, and it's on a rotor basis. And you know, that half and that half, one will be in the office and one will be at home, and then they switch. So then people actually never cross paths now in person. And, you know, that could be one half of a t one team and the other half of a team. So I think it's important, um, for example, we a few weeks ago, we went out for uh, a meal after work and that was the full team. And that was maybe some of the, some people in there were saying that they'd not seen such a person in maybe five weeks. So it's just about trying to, <coughs> to, to really um, keep that keep that connection for people. Um, and not let them sort of fall into that isolation way of living. Because in the long run, I do feel it is damaging. It's, yeah. You mentioned that when you arranged uh, visits to a, to a construction site, you've started taking people for walks around the site, which, you know, probably gives you a, a unique perspective of what's going on. But um, it, it also relates to the, the second way of well-being, which is to to get active or yes. to be active in our lives. So how have you found that doing those walks with your customers and colleagues, has that, has that improved your mental health in, in, in a physical sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that because there's, there's two sides for this and this is two that probably happen more, more often than not out of the other things. But being active was a big part for me. So personally, during COVID, obviously I, you could take your, your dogs out for a walk, for example. And although you could do that to an isolated place, you couldn't interact with any other people whilst you were there. So, um, yeah, absolutely, when it comes to, to staying active, that was part of the site visit, and it was just more of a... 
yeah, let's be active, let's be outside, you know, and we can bring more people into this. So people along the site, for example, would be, you know, doing a certain job and they'd see you walking around and having a chat and you stop and then you they, they end up joining the conversation. They then join the walk for you for, you know, maybe not the whole, but, you know, for part of it. And then in another way as well, it's, you know, lunchtime, for example, we we will have colleagues or a team that would send a message out and they let's get together and, and do a walk at lunch um, to the race course and back, for example, which, you know, <coughs> to every every person on the outside is just, oh, just going for a walk on your dinner, getting your steps up. But it's not. It's a way for the people to connect um, and stay active and keep your mind stimulated, which okay. I think is really important. I also think you can never know or even appreciate the value that it might have to one of the people who were on that walk that day you know what could have been going through their life in in any sense um and actually I like that you're so open about mental health conversation uh in the construction industry because mm. I think the construction industry has a, a a really high rate of suicide actually we do yeah um and uh perhaps it's uh or perhaps maybe what's your what's your perspective carly why does the construction industry have uh, a higher rate of suicide than other industries i i feel like it's a a long stemming issue coming from you know the typical person that works in construction and they're known to be you know strong um you know not just physically but mentally as well and it's a difficult industry to be in and I think that sort of over the years has, has become what people expect of themselves because of it and maybe that would be because they've known family or friends that have been in construction maybe a long time ago and things have evolved a lot but ultimately it's it's still that same um, and what's the word I'm looking for it's Stigma? Yeah, it's a stigma around who you should be if you're in construction. The same as it is with sales. Uh, and maybe that won't ever completely go away, but I feel like we can absolutely um, do everything that we can to to evolve that and, and help people. And, you, and you're right, it's like when we said, when I first met you and we had that very open, frank conversation, which was which was great, and it does link into the walks I would go on with colleagues because you, that one person might not know how to have that conversation. And if they're around one other person that is happy to do that and comfortable to do that, that might just spark that little bit of confidence in them to to just say, okay, you know, I, I am struggling. Mm. And sparking that one conversation is, <coughs> well, it's worth more than you can put into words, isn't it? Because that that's what we need to do. We need to try and change this one person at a time, you know, and and I feel like in the construction industry, um, and let's say, for example, people say it is much more male, um, it is a male-dominated industry, mm. and therefore the, the rates of mental health impact if are higher in men, you see it more and hear about it more in men, um, which is which is true, because you know, because it is. And then, then comes the other part of it, do males feel open enough on a typical site environment with the lads having the banter and, you know, doing whatever job they may be doing with the tools? Do they feel like they can be vulnerable to the point where they can raise that topic? And sadly, at the moment, and 
the answer majority of the time is is no they don't <coughs> yeah you're right it's it's, it's it's very challenging so it'd be easy for me to sit here in my ivory tower like essentially a keyboard warrior I work behind a desk you know you know office environments tend to be in my experience really open yeah. for talking about mental health so you know I can't offer a solution um to the construction industry I'm so far removed from that um nor could I even uh criticize the way it's managed in 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 a sense because uh, we're dealing with something completely different um I, I like the fact that you're you're doing your best to to change it from what what you can do so it's the same as you know we can set up a podcast come and have a chat about mental health and it might sort of start to seep through uh but i would hope that the stuff you're doing uh that is happening on construction sites starts to have an effect by osmosis you know people start to see what you're doing and maybe it will encourage that more honest conversation um because as we said at the start it's the silence that's the killer it is, yeah. And and I, I do hope, and that's what you've got to do, you've got to try and breed that um, hope that someone will take notice and they'll take action if they just take sort of one one thing that you do. Um, if I walk off a construction site and the next week someone rings me and says, do you know what, once a week we actually take a minute and we have a walk around and we, we, we just chat and stuff, then, like, absolutely, that that's fantastic. And that one little thing seems like a, a very minor thing could be a key and very actual major to one person within that group. So we, we have just got to tackle it bit by bit and, and like you said, hopefully other people take notice and adopt that into their own lives and the way they are and that's, yeah. that's the whole... Well, you, met, you, you mentioned uh, the third way of well-being, <laughs> you know, take notice and... Take notice is um, taking time to enjoy the moment. It's like, um, you know, when I'm at my busiest and perhaps the most stressed, I find myself having tunnel vision. Like I've got a problem and I can't see the way out of it. Um, or, or at worst, when I've had manic depression, uh, I can't see an end uh, to the pain and the suffering. Um, and the antidote to that is taking notice. It can be something as simple as, uh, recognizing uh, the beautiful landscape around you, or um, a bit like when you turn up today, you, you, you were admiring our office. You know that, that's the example of taking notice and just living in the moment. You know, how, how do you do that? Do you ever take time? How do you take time out? Is there a particular environment that really helps your mental health? So I mean, I, I, as you know, Luke, I travel quite a lot with with my job. Um, and being in any one environment for a prolonged period of time doesn't happen often. However, for example, if I am actually in the office um, and I do find myself sometimes in that anxious state and if the, you know there's a lot going on, and you're right, it can become counterproductive if you try and push through it sometimes, which I found. Um, and, I, and I will get up and I'll go over to a colleague's desk or I'll go to a breakout area and I'll just have a conversation with them. It can be as simple as going to make a coffee and someone else is making a coffee and you just get into a conversation and it just gives you that break that you need. But I had to find that a bit differently when I'm travelling because I, I'm travelling solo. And, you know, what I try and do there, and, and it does really help me, is whatever location I'm travelling to, I will look at the surrounding areas and whether it be walks or 
a landmark or a new restaurant that I want to go and try, then I, I'll, I'll do that. You know, it'd be very easy to sit in a hotel room on your laptop and continue doing the work. But in actual fact, no, I'm in a new place, you know, and there's there's things I haven't seen here and there's food I haven't tried. And, you know, let's just let... And I say to myself, just just get out and, you know, a couple of hours out of your day. And it, and it really helps. It really, really helps. Um, and I do that every, every time I'm away now. I'll do it whilst I'm here. For, I'm here for the next three days, as you're well aware. Um, and I will, I will do that here. I'll go on a walk uh, later this evening and... Yeah, it's, um, I find it's a good way to sort of manage and, and keep the levels, you know, where they need to be so that I don't enter that danger zone of being counterproductive and forcing me, my, my mind to, to do something that it's, you know, it's, it's saying, to, give me a break, give me a break. Mm. And you have to recognise that. You have to give that break to yourself. You're going to find yourself walking around Bushy Park later? Yes, yes. And that was your recommendation. So I've done it each time I've been here now. Um, but it's a very big place. So, you know, every time I go, I, I do <clears> see something new. I don't sort of do the same walk. I try and change it up a little bit. Um, you know, eat somewhere different or choose a different meal and all these different things because it just allows my mind to focus on, oh, you know, I wonder what that meal's going to be like. Oh, I wonder what I'm going to see this visit on the park. And it's it's an outlet, isn't it? It's... It's it's a positive outlet. Yeah, I I had a I had a meeting in Bushy Park recently. Okay. Uh, with a colleague, and we we had this idea that we were going to um, create a new uh, sales deck. Like we were going to yeah. change our collateral, and I put the meeting in three weeks before, and it was sort of one of those things where you just end up doing it for the sake of it. Something that might have seemed a good idea at one point. Let's set up a meeting to talk about it. We'll talk about how you're going to do it and set a deadline. Anyway, we went for the walk because it was a nice day. And by the end of the walk, we decided not to do the sales deck that we were planning. In yeah. fact, we decided to do something completely different. And I love I love walking generally, um, but something we try and do more more often than not a consigner is that's is, interesting. So, do you feel that would have gotten the same result? If you'd have done the meeting in the office, for example. No, if we did it in the office, then we'd have just drawn up the 10 slides we were planning to do. Uh, we were going to do it. This It's a theory called the Kawasaki theory. It's like you do 10 slides. Um, I think it's 20-minute presentation and 30 size 30 font. So it's the 10, 20, 30 rule. Oh, okay. And allegedly, it's, it's really it's proven to be quite a good sales framework for a mm-hmm. presentation. But we were so stuck in our way of thinking, we thought it was a really good idea. And then we sort of started walking and we were more open about, is this a good idea to do? And we realised we were just trying to do something the same, but just do it differently. Yeah. And it wasn't going to make any difference to our talks with our customers. Um, so, yeah, it, did, it flipped the narrative. Um, and also, at the same time, we had a nice time. Um, yeah. Going for a walk, got out of the office, fresh air. Um. Doesn't doesn't quite feel like work, does it? When you change up the environment and you change the the way that you approach it, I feel like it doesn't quite feel like work because you're just doing it that differently to what the normal is. And and I th- I think actually that is the solution for mental health issues in the workplace is for people to be the same at home as they are in work. Mm-hmm. Now there's obviously slight variations no one's going to be exactly the same 
Um, but we go back, you, you mentioned earlier about our first ever chat. Yes. That chat would have happened whether we met socially or whether we went, met in a work environment. Yeah. And lo and behold, that's led to us um, doing this podcast, you see. Yeah. So just a little bit of showing a bit of vulnerability, a bit of transparency can lead to doing good things for others. And uh, it certainly helped my mental health. And um, also, I would say it's probably been good for business too. I always put that forward that yeah. there's um, having shown vulnerability in sales and authenticity is actually what buyers most appreciate. Mm. Um, I don't think they really like the traditional salesperson stereotype. No, I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm a strong believer actually in that people buy from people, um, and you, you, yeah, you've got to be authentic. You've got to be your true self. Uh, I was reading a book recently, and and it's and it talks around. Uh, it's called True North, and it and it talks around being your true self and finding your true north. And, you know, really committing to that, no matter what situation or environment you're in, never never steering away from that because ultimately you're... It's, it talks about, also if you know, if you go into each different relationship as a different person, for example, your mind is managing so much and, and flipping from environment about how it needs to be and how it needs to act and, and it's not sustainable and it's, it's not healthy. So you always need to have that true north, which is the core of who you are. And yeah, as a salesperson, for example, you do have to adapt the way you approach things depending on what that meeting is, what the task is, what, what you're pitching and things like that. And I completely get that. But always at the root of that should be the core of who you are. Um, and I really do believe in that. I I speak about it a lot to a lot of people. Um, mm. And I actually ask the question sometimes <clears throat> to members of my indirect teams, and, and I say, is, is this you? Are you being you? Um, and, and it opens up some conversations, which some are quite difficult, because if, you know, if someone, like you said, if someone is a bit closed off and they're struggling, but they're closing that off from the world and from the work environment, we spend a lot of our time in the work environment. People always say separate personal and, and, and work. And I don't think you can quite do that. You spend half of your time at, at your workplace with your colleagues. You need to be comfortable to let that crossover happen. Um, yeah, not so much so that it, it you know largely affects your day, for example, but just having that com- vulnerability and confidence that you can open up about it. And, you know, I've had it recently where people are not bringing themselves to work. They're they're bringing a person that they feel like they have to be in order to actually hide some, you know, quite difficult and challenging things that they were going through at the time. Um, And we we spoke about that. And um, I'd like to think the person has said that, you know, they feel much better coming into work now because they don't feel like they're having to be this sort of fake persona and they said it's helped them a lot and and again that's that's one person but that one may per, that person may come into that similar situation with someone else in the future and hopefully they'll look back at how our interaction happened mm. and then they'll you know try and breathe that forward to that person and then help that person mm. that's the hope yeah I, I always i had a really 
I, I wouldn't say unique experience, but our own experiences are unique. And I was sectioned twice in my late teens. And I never felt I had the choice to hide the fact that I have bipolar because it was, uh, I wouldn't say very public, it's not like I'm a famous person, but all my friends, colleagues, and everyone kind of knew it happened. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not sure whether I ever actually took the decision to be honest about my experiences um, or not. I think what I am sure of is that I decided that there's an opportunity to help people by being your true self. And um, I feel blessed, actually, with the, the companies I've worked for. Um, they've all been pretty pretty good. Um, Consali has been excellent because I... I, I never feel like I have to hide uh, that I've got bipolar. Yeah. Um, it's actually usually the first part of the conversation when I met them. Um, I said, you know, you're aware of my condition. Um, and actually, for, for the for the difficulties that it presents to the, the company, which it does because it's a serious condition, um, I've, I've, I feel like it's by being honest about it, it's, it's, I've had the opportunity to help people. Um because uh, it just people go okay he's someone I can go and go and talk to um yeah. about my mental health if I if I need to and I definitely felt that when we when we met and you know I must say it's really um like courageous of you and, and just someone hearing that and listening to this podcast knowing that you chose to be that way in terms of um having them very them conversations at the very start like you said and that can be a difficult conversation to have with someone that you don't know on a personal level. And it's really courageous to do that. And, and I, I don't have any doubt that you're helping other people um, do that. But you're right, I work for a company called Speedy Services, as you know. Um, and I would say we've made giant strides in the past sort of two to three years on the way that we approach mental health in, in with colleagues and... And things like that, and it, there's a there's a lot more support there, and a lot more understanding of it. Now, that wasn't the case for me personally a long time ago. Like as you know, I've grown up around mental health pretty much most of my life. I've always had an understanding of it, um, bipolar in particular, uh, with close family members, and that led to me missing two GCSE exams, uh, and the impact that it has on the people around you and you, you very quickly become um i mean i say i understood it at that age i understood it for what i knew it to be and as i got older i i took notice of signs of mental health problems in friends and and colleagues and and things like that and and i would say that 10 years ago when i started in the construction industry um it wasn't it wasn't dealt with very well i i hadn't experienced anxiety and depression at that point myself um yet uh, which will will lead on to but i i seen it happening around me and and i didn't i didn't i wasn't comfortable with how it it was dealt with and it's great to see that that has changed but there's still plenty of work to be done i've personally come across it you know, let's go back around about four years when my own mental health journey, let's say, started. Um, it, it came from a car crash, <laughs> believe it or not. Out of all the mental health things I've been around in my life, the situations that I've been in, the conversations that I've had, and um, 
I'd never experienced it. And then I was involved in a car crash and then I had that the very first anxious moment that I had to the point where I felt like I was a bit out of control was getting back into a car afterwards. And, I, I, you know, I really didn't want to do it. And, you know, and that was an experience of my first panic attack, for example. That was something I quickly had to deal with and, and work out how to deal with it because I travel a lot for work and it involves driving. Um, and at that time, I'd say it was four or five years ago, and at that time when I went to my immediate line manager, for example, um, there wasn't that sort of understanding there. And and, and now I've, I've grown. At the time, I felt a bit, I felt a bit aggrieved by it, I'll be honest, and I thought, well, why is this person not helping me? Why don't they understand? And and then I thought, well, actually, if, if they're lucky enough to never have experienced mental health in the way that me and you have, it, it is difficult to understand. Um, and then came my thoughts of, yeah, in my childhood, I knew what it was, but did I understand until I actually hit that point myself? No, I didn't. I thought I did, but I actually didn't. <clears throat> and I think that's one of the, the gaps that's missing is is um, is sort of teaching people how to approach it when they don't actually or have not had experience of it themselves. And yeah. that's not because of the person, <clears throat> by the way. Um, it is just very difficult to understand. Yeah, I, I agree. We have to have, we have a responsibility to educate people. We do on mental health so I think there is actually a responsibility to be honest if you've gone through those experiences because how else will someone understand it um I've got a, a family relative who has uh, fibromyalgia yeah um which is a serious condition and I've grown in understanding of it as a condition um but I would say that rather well rudely actually I was a bit dismissive of the condition when I first came across it and that's because I didn't know anything about it yeah so I was quick to read a couple of symptoms and I was quite dismissive of it um uh somewhat skeptical and and that is that is um discriminatory uh towards someone with a condition right and uh you know I've since learned about it and educated myself on that condition um so I, I can see why, um, you know, in your experience of your uh, line manager, they just hadn't had those, what you describe as unfortunate experiences, um, so that they didn't know what to do in that situation. Mm. Um, you know, we have a responsibility to educate, and I think everyone has a responsibility to learn about about mental health. And um, I think that's why these things are useful, because... You know, getting you on as a as a, as a senior salesperson, yeah. I'd like to think there might be a a different interest in the podcast. People might go, okay, I know Carly either because I work in construction, yeah, uh, or because I work for Speedy, uh, or I'm a student at Consalia, and yeah. anyone else who on the social media on LinkedIn, you know, sees the podcast and has a listen. And I think that's that's a great chance to educate. Um, on the topic of your own learning you know learn is one of the the five ways to well-being your yes. um you know one what to tell us about your experiences with with consalia um so it, they're really really positive actually and and i'll be honest it was actually um a very small period of time pr just instantly prior to the course starting <coughs> where 
I felt like I, maybe I had to, to, to drop out. And that was because of personal circumstances in my life. And I know, obviously, we, we spoke about it quickly before, but um, I had a couple of traumatic events directly leading up to the start of the course within four weeks, actually. Um, and, you know, I had a conversation with someone. And this person has a, an understanding of mental health because they, they suffer from it. This person is my dad. I'm very, very, very close to my dad. Um, and he was saying, look, you know, you, you, you've got work and that's always a big responsibility. And, you know, as an account director in Speedy, you, you are looked at and it, there's an expectation to be able to look to you for the answers and the solutions. And I'm that person 95% of the time. But then I've got that 5%, which is where my mental health comes into play. And it's mm. very noticeable, as you can probably imagine, when you're an outgoing, bubbly person and you're in sales and you've got that stereotypical... Uh, opinion of you as a salesperson as soon as that five percent comes into play it's very noticeable to everyone around you and it's quite difficult then to manage the expectations um so I was speaking to my dad and and he knew what, obviously what I'd gone through I'd, I'd lost my nan um and then I'd lost my dog at a very young age and he was saying look you, you know you've, you've got your job and it's you're going through these things and it's, it's gonna be hard enough do you think you should be starting this um, master's degree, this level seven course? And I said, you know, it's I've been looking forward to this dad for a year, uh, maybe a bit more. Um, and I decided my dad sometimes struggles pushing through that initial fear, and and that's where he feels his weaknesses with mental health. He would maybe wait for the the wave to ride the wave and let it pass. It was I, where I can, I think I can, I try and push through it, and I did. And I started this Level 7 course, which has been, you know, it's been amazing. Um, the learning journey, the support, meeting you, and, and being sat here today, which hopefully is going to benefit a lot of other people as well. Uh, it's opened up new ways of thinking for me, um, particularly in mindsets. And, yeah, it's been absolutely <coughs> fantastic. Um but there is, there is that crossover from life. And I said to you before, when I get on the M6 South now, um, that's a real struggle for me. I get very overwhelmed and anxious because I was on the M6 South going to visit my nan back in March um, where I got the phone call that unfortunately she'd passed away. And I now, um, that location stuck with me for that, that and that's, that event, I, I drive past it I get a meeting request and I know it involves going the M6 South or coming here to do a module and a workshop and it involves the M6. And I, I reach that certain part of the motorway and my mind tries to shut down and, you know, I get this overwhelming sense of grief and sadness and um, all of the anxiety sort of uh, traits that come with that. And I, and I push myself through it each time. And I'm glad to say that it's... It's becoming easier now because I've managed to face it and I know where it's bringing me and it's brought me here today, for example. Hmm. Um, it brings me to the workshops, new relationships with the cohort and visiting your lovely offices today with the hospitality. So um, there is that little bit of crossover and I think that's, that's the key as well. If someone can hear another person saying they push through because it was 
for something that they really want to grab hold of, like my master's degree. I want to take that and run. Um, and it's nice to hear that someone's managed to push through that. Maybe it gives you a bit of confidence that you can do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I'd like to think. And you didn't mention that you get to hang out with Neil and Marek more often. Um, I mean, I purposely didn't mention them. No, they, they, we, <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a fantastic group. There's a lot of mixed personalities, as you know, um, in our group. And we actually bonded really well from the off, to be honest. And each time that we're here, we go out for a meal and a few drinks and stuff. And, you know, people from all different walks of life, they're in different positions, um, you know, different points of their career. So it's a really interesting mix, and it's um, and it's it's again going back to that very key thing in my life, which is human connection, face to face contact. Um, so yeah, it's been really good, really good. I've I've heard some really nice things about your cohort. Actually, I'm not going to mention them on here, um, just because the nature of what they are. Um, yeah. But it it was, it was it was wonderful actually to hear uh, how you're gelling as a cohort and supporting each other. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love that. The final way of well-being, we're getting to the end. Um, and a good chance for me to say thank you for giving your time to come today. Because that, that, that is an act of give, which is the final way of well-being. It says um, there's been lots of research about the effects of taking part in social and community life. Some studies have shown that people who help others are more likely to rate themselves as happy. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's flowed through what you've said today in terms of the uh, the benefits of altruism mm. um, and helping others. Uh, how 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 does that help your mental health? Do do you do you find that there's uh, I know, a serotonin boosts when you when you help others. Do you get do you get energy from helping other people? Does does it make you happy? It does. Yeah, it, you know, it really does. Professionally speaking, actually, I um, I was a mentor within <coughs> my business at Speedy for um, a young girl. Uh, we have like an internal mentor program, and it's when someone sort of shows the. Uh, you know they're eager to develop and maybe learn different parts of the business and and this person was interested in sales and we started this mentor program for 12 months and <coughs> throughout that 12 months I've seen this person grow exponentially actually and immediately I knew she had the knack for sales you, you know I could just tell mm. um, but it was more of the the practical side of things that she was and that is just through development and it was more about getting out and meeting them people um and all, obviously you've got all of the 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 account stuff and processes um yeah so anyway so I started mentoring this young girl and she joined me on the road and in meetings and she developed them social skills that you needed to be a salesperson and then, obviously, all of the practical side of it as well, of, of, you know, managing an account and being in sales. And actually, recently, about eight weeks ago, actually, she's she's joined our team. Um, so she's supporting one of the account directors uh, as a support, uh, a sales support executive on an account. So she she basically ended up where she wanted to be. And when I got that phone call to say that this person was about to be offered that job, um, I was... 
extremely happy and I was giddy like a little like a little girl and I was mm. actually really sat on pins waiting for the job offer to go to this young girl so that she could ring me to say that she'd got it because I obviously already knew that that was a decision and when I got that phone call from her and how happy she was and seeing her now in the role um it's it's been amazing and it does make you feel really really good so yeah I'm absolutely one of them people where helping people does make me very happy mm. it, it does yeah, w working with others is uh, very, very rewarding. It is. It gives me, it, I feel it gives me immunity from suffering sometimes. Yeah. Um, because instead of focusing on my own problems, which usually are so insignificant when I rationalise them, but actually helping someone out, you, you don't, don't have time to focus on what's going wrong in your life. You helped our whole cohort. Our initial contact with Consalia was was with you, and um, yeah, it's it was a it was a really good process, and it was you made people feel comfortable about it, and people who didn't maybe have an academic background thinking, can I do this? And and you assured them that they could, you know, with commitment and determination and and willingness to learn and develop. You showed them that they could. Um, I can imagine that's really rewarding, actually. Um, it is. Because we, we are sat here today because of, well, you. So. The, 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 I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> I do a little bit of it. Um, and there's a lot of people contributing. Yes. However, yes. Um, they, uh, we just had a cohort start last week, and uh, the most rewarding part of the job is seeing them on the first night. Like they've come in, um, you see them on like, you, you see their like perhaps their fears or their anticipation about the day. Uh, but as you know, the first day is quite personal on the course. You do yes. uh, the activities that you look at your background and things like that. And it was just lovely to to hear um, their experience of the first day, that they're so happy they're on the journey. Um, but also seeing them gelling together already, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Um and yeah, so I, I, I'm about, I think I'm about a year away from seeing people graduate that I put on the program and that's going to be a special day too. Are you going to, are you going to attend? Oh, absolutely. So. Yeah. God, that's yeah, yeah. God. Brilliant. That was one of my favorite <laughs> highlights so far of joining this course was day one because it, it is very personal and it actually, you, you, it sort of forces you to sit and, and think and open up. And it's a really good way of making everyone comfortable with each other. So I'd like to think within our group specifically, we have a WhatsApp group, you know, and we have banter and all them laughs. Neil and Marek, main culprits usually. Um, but also it's been very supportive. Some of the people have been going through, you know, maybe some life challenges and, and the way that we've rallied around and things like that. And, and I do actually think that day one is extremely important and it does contribute to that because... You do look at your background and, you know, your values, who you are. And it does prompt conversation between the group and allow you to just find out them things about other people. And and that's where the journey begins, I guess. And it's, yeah, it's, it's good. Well, long may it continue. Yeah. So um, enjoy your coaching workshop tomorrow. Thank you. I'm looking forward uh, to it. And, but, yeah. you know, thanks for, thanks for coming on the podcast, the first ever one, you know. Um, 
it all started with that conversation and then hey let's do a podcast you, yeah. you should be the first one to do it uh, and here we are recording it and you know I'm sure it will have some sort of ripple effect someone out there will be listening to this right now and uh, they'll be thinking this is helpful yeah. um, and I'm sure they can reach out to you if they're in the industry I'm sure you're someone they absolutely yeah I mean that is the aim isn't it that's why we're both sat here today um, and yeah, what you know, whatever socials this gets shared on and things like that, we we you know we want to reach that audience. If you need, you know, if if anyone feels like they just want to have a chat, if it's just a message to say, you know, this really made me think and it, it helped me, or they want a further chat, I'm always free for that. Um, I will always make time for that. Um, it's a big part of my life, and and again, I just want to help more people, help others. It's a chain reaction, isn't it? You've it is. one person can only do so much, but if they can sort of show another person how to do that or why it's beneficial, and then it keeps going and going and going, and we will get there. We will get to where we want to be, and you know, hopefully, win the battle that everyone's up against. I'm sure we will. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's the first type of thing I've done. I've had a lot of conversations about mental health and. Um, but this is the first sort of podcast that I've done and I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak about it and voicing it. And hopefully we have reached someone. I'm sure it will. Thank you, Carly. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. See you soon. You too.